Welcome again to Mill City Church. Uh, we're so glad you're here to worship with us. My name's Christian Ann Larson. I sort of realized as I was preparing... Uh, whoa. <laughs> Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, as I was preparing for this morning, that maybe some of you haven't met me um, over the past year. I've been a little preoccupied. Um, we've had, my husband and I, JD, and I have had two kids in two years. Uh, we adopted Rosie uh, last, let's say, a year and a half ago, and then we had our son, Daniel James, this last summer. And so I'm Christian Ann, and I've been able to be uh, serving here as a pastor for the past five-plus years, and it's been a privilege to um, be a part of this community. And so if I haven't met you, I'm extending that sort of introduction to you this morning. And I would say that the church plant, so my husband and I are actually planting a church, uh, hopefully by next this time next year, and the church plant is like baby number three. So three under three. We're going Michael and Carissa Bender style, I think, if you know them, their conversation. Uh, so it's good to be out of the fog a little bit. Um, having kids is a little all-consuming, as I've realized, and I'm really grateful to be a part of this conversation this morning with all of you. In this teaching series, Asking for a Friend, it's helped us name some of those difficult issues that are a part of our lives. And we're bringing these things up. We're having courageous conversations, as Steph talked about last week. Um, and it's taught us to, to be honest with ourselves, with God, and with one another. And so this asking for a friend kind of goofy way of thinking about it is, if, if we don't have the courage to say it, we're asking for a friend, right? And so I sort of thought, I got to get in on this. Uh, the interns have had their, their go at it, so I'm going to have my go at it and do it parenting edition, because that's been my world. So parent or non-parent, I think you might be able to relate or at least get a giggle out of some of these things. Is it okay to buy a van after years of ridiculing van owners? <laughs> asking for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. I love the van. I've been loving it. Um, what do you say... But what do you do when you say I love you to your kid, kiss them goodnight, and they headbutt you in the face? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Is it okay to drop my toddler off at daycare holding her pants and her shoes in her hands because we just didn't get that far this morning in getting dressed? I actually am asking for a friend in this one. Um, how do you get crayon off of walls? I don't know if you can see this. That took two minutes. <laughs> she had some major effort, man. That was Rosie. Rosie's artwork there. So there's my little version of asking for a friend, parenting edition. But if I'm totally transparent, um, becoming a parent in the last couple years has been probably the greatest challenge that I've faced in the last decade of my life. And so whether it be because of my own family history or just the constant pressure that I feel to be a perfect parent, I just feel like there's a lot at stake with raising these little ones. And so in my relationship with my kids, every day, every day there is both joy and heartbreak. Rob Williams, a friend of mine who's a part of this conversation, said, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. But I think he's naming something that we, we live in, we all live in this tension, that we feel caught in between joy and brokenness in our lives. And so today, we're talking about the courage to pursue whole relationships 
the courage to pursue whole relationships. It's not just the parent-child relationship, it's every relationship in our life that's subject to brokenness. You probably have a relationship that comes to mind right now, a person or maybe a group of people, that there's, there's brokenness, you feel that, you might feel it in your own body, your roommate, your coworker, sibling, spouse, significant other. I don't know one person in my life that hasn't experienced a difficult relationship in the last six months. And so we're asking this question, how do we pursue whole relationships in the midst of so much brokenness? What does it look like for God to lead us, maybe not out of it, but through it? And I think these, these questions feel super weighty because we live in a really divided, complex, and wounded world. So this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning has been really core to how I've walked through as being a pastor in this church. I've walked with people, and I've, I've helped people sort of as they journey, as they wonder, as they question, how do we get through these broken relationships? So let's pray before we look at our scripture this morning. Lord Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you are in our midst, not just now, but as we leave this place, God, that you show up both in the joy and the brokenness, and you're helping us navigate through it. And so, Lord, would you help us to bring ourselves and, and to be honest with our hearts? God, would you help us as we think about the people that we're experiencing brokenness with? Teach us through your scripture, as you have throughout so many years. Be in our midst, God. Would you bring healing this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you can turn there if you have your Bible with you. It'll be on the screen as well. I'll give you a little background to Corinth. So Paul wrote this letter. It's a second letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was, was this big metropolitan city diverse in both ethnic, cultural, racial t ways, and all the tensions that existed in the midst of those relationships. There was both extreme poverty and wealth and everything in between. There were political conflicts. Rome, Rome was the ruling government that was super oppressive to anyone who was not Roman. And so if you weren't Roman, you weren't even on the grid. You weren't a, a second-class citizen. You weren't a citizen at all. And so the culture also was super sexualized. And so the church was trying to navigate, what's it like to have a sexual ethic? Could you imagine this group of people that are new, trying to live out this faith and being Christians, being Christ followers in this context? Trying to do that in a mutual and genuine way. And I think that there are just so many parallels to what we experience today. I think it sounds pretty familiar. So let's read this together, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, were, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that Christ was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so I see three main themes in these verses. And the first being that in Christ, we are being made new in the midst of brokenness. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. So that word reconciling, we, we don't maybe use that in everyday language, so just so we're working from the same definition. There's lots of ways. There's reconciling accounts in the financial world, but we're talking about the reuniting, the restoration, the coming together to make whole again. So it's, it's noting that something was become broken. Something has become broken, and then it's the coming together again. And so from creation, from the very beginning, we were designed, we were made. God's intention was that we would have whole relationship with him, with each other, with the world. But when sin entered the picture through these relationships, we broke relationship with God. Relationships became tainted, fractured, imperfect. And I don't think anyone needs proof that we live in a really broken world. But God did not leave it this way. As we see here, God sent his son Jesus into this mess. He drew towards us, not counting our sins against us. And so Jesus makes us new in the midst of this. It's through Christ that we have this experience, that we can experience this newness now. But reconciliation is that process. God is reconciling. It's a verb. It's happening now. It's, we're in the midst of it. When I think of this, I think of, uh, for those of you who are Apple users or Mac users, that little rainbow spinny wheel of death, right? It comes up. Sometimes it doesn't go away, right? You think, where did that come from? I was clicking along, and I was moving in through my work, and all of a sudden, I can't do a darn thing. For mine, it was stuck a whole day. I had to completely restart my, my computer. It's that process. We don't like waiting. And we wonder, how long do we have to wait for this fullness, for this wholeness to come? But the new is in our midst. It's in the midst of a world being reconciled to God. And theologians talk about this, the already but not yet. The kingdom has come. Christ has come He came into this world to offer us hope and grace and salvation. But it's in the midst of this broken world that our circumstances don't always get changed, but we can be made new. We can be saved. And yet we're still waiting for that fullness to happen. It's through Jesus' death, life, and resurrection that we get a taste. We get a taste of that wholeness. We get a taste of that salvation but we have to recognize that we are still being saved. And I just want to recognize that that's a really hard place to be. 
the already but not yet. We know what hope can feel like, but we don't feel it all the time. And so in the midst of our relationships, we know what a whole relationship can feel like, but that might not be our reality. And so often we get stuck. We feel stuck in the middle. I've heard your stories where maybe um, you're having a political conversation with a friend and all of a sudden it just goes super south really fast and now it's just sort of cold-hearted between the two of you. Or maybe you're at your dream job and your coworkers treat you like trash. Infidelity shows up in your marriage and you wonder, is forgiveness even possible? Maybe your sibling is battling an addiction. A, a spouse is, is diagnosed with a terminal illness. How do you hold hope and live in that type of tension? Because I, what I've noticed is that brokenness doesn't discriminate. Everyone's afflicted by it. So when I think about this in my own life, I'll tell you about um, one of my earliest broken relationships. From the time that I was born, my parents weren't together. By the time I, they, they had already separated. And so I, I grew up living with my mom, but I would spend time with my parents separately. I would maybe go and spend time with my dad once a week, maybe every other week. And uh, it's great to have lots of grandparents. I love that my kids get to have lots and lots of grandparents to love them. But as I look back on my childhood, there was some pain and complexity that came with a split family. And there were times, honestly, that I just wanted it to be simple. When people would draw pictures of their family, I didn't know how to draw mine. And so growing up, I wasn't that close with my dad. Um, there wasn't any big break between us. Um, there just seemed to be a gap that, that I didn't know how to close. And so when, as I grew up, as I moved from California to Minnesota for college, cats out of the bag, California girl, um, nothing really changed. Maybe even the gap got a little bit wider. But in my sophomore year of college, um, I had this thought. I was talking with a friend. And I just thought, I wonder if my relationship with my dad could be different. I wonder if he wants something deeper here. And even though it wasn't the reality for me at the time, at least I was able to name that, that I wanted that. And so I don't know what courage came over me, but one day um, I called him, and we didn't talk that often. And even though I had no idea how to phrase it, I sort of just blurted out, I want more of a relationship with you. I want you to know me, I said. I want you to know my life and what's going on in it. And I just want to talk more. And we didn't go into detail about, you know, how we had gotten to that point or how it got to be that way. And there was this pause, and in that moment I was like, okay, who knows, he's going to be defensive, he's going to be hurt, maybe he'll just ignore the question and move on with a different topic. But he said, you know, I want that too. And even though I was sort of expecting the worst, he said, yeah, let's try, let's try and talk once a month. Let's start there. And so when I look back over the last decade of my life, it has been a process to rebuild, to start again, to reconnect, and to reconcile, to make 
something whole that, that wasn't. And so there's been plenty of awkward moments when we try and go on coffee dates and like try to have a one-on-one, hey, how are you? Like, okay, you, you like cappuccinos, great. Didn't know that, cool. Um, you know, you just like, you have to start someplace. When we go and visit, I always try to have that one-on-one, but you know, even though it doesn't always work out like that, that was the story of us trying. That has been my story of us trying. And these stories, and you probably have stories like these too, these are the stories that give us the courage to reconcile with people in our lives, to believe that reconciliation is possible. And so how do we continue to build up the courage to move through the brokenness? The second theme I see is that Christ gives us a whole new way of doing relationship. And it says this in that first verse that we read, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, that though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And so we see that Paul uses this word worldly. I think we know exactly what Paul means here. We know those relationships or those conversations where it's completely judgmental, transactional, People are wondering what they can get out of it. That's the only reason they're in that relationship. Or maybe where you feel like you're stuck in this cycle of comparison, where there's traces of bitterness and resentment everywhere. I think these are some of the defaults in our human relationships. And these are the ruts that we all get stuck in. And it says, we don't regard Christ in this way, though. He is different, and even though all the leaders and the followers tried to put him in this box, you're going to work with us, you're going to lead us in this way too. He lives it a completely different way, and instead of judgment, he is slow to anger. And instead of transaction, he offers us transformation. And instead of comparison, he gives compassion. And so when I think about trying to live out this message of reconciliation, because our goal is to mirror this way of living that Christ models for us, how do we do that? I think there's a few things that we can do on a very practical level. One of my number one prayers when I'm struggling with somebody or if I'm in this place in one of my relationships, I say, God, give me new eyes. How do you see this person If every person is made in the image of God, even though they are not acting like it sometimes, we aren't acting like it sometimes, how can I see them the way that you see them? I need some new eyes here. How do I hold that truth that they are made in the image of God? A couple years back, we had this training Sunday where uh, one of our friends, John Nielsen, led us through uh, releasing resentments. And there was a few people that were able to be a part of that. And he said, I want you to think about someone that you're holding resentment towards. Maybe not that you hate them, but just someone who you've had experienced broken relationship with or you're grieving something and there's someone that comes to mind. What happens in your body? How do you notice when you bring that person to mind? And he had us dwell on that. Then he said, put that down for a second. What good thoughts, what good things do you want for your life? Think about that for a while. Can you wish that? Can you bless that on that person? And let's just be real. We're not always there, right? We're not always there to be able to wish those things well on someone. But 
this is the process that we can get to to become reconcilers, to become people who have the courage to pursue that wholeness and say, maybe God, can you hold this person for me? I can't right now. Can you hold this relationship? It feels a little heavy. When we invite God to help us hold them, we don't have to all the time. That's one of the roles that that the Lord plays in our lives. And it's also releasing those resentments so that we can let go of the outcome. Because reconciling isn't a promise that it's going to be reconciled. We see in the scripture it's, it's not this promise of perfect relationship, right? And so it's trusting this big picture that God is doing this work outside of us. And so when I think about that relationship with my dad, one of the things I've had to trust is that he has act, God has actually wanted that to be whole, even more than me, even more than I've wanted it. And so the last theme that I see from our text is that our relationship with God gives us what we need to have whole relationships. It says in verse 20, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so sometimes that best starting place for us is our relationship with God, to start with ourselves. Because it turns out, and how many of us have tried, you cannot change other people. There are things that are completely out of our control, and half the time, it's just us learning to let go of control. And so it's choosing to trust that big picture of restoration, that though there was you know, breaking from creation, that through Jesus there's restoration and God will bring it to completion. And he's doing that in every aspect of our lives as well. And so sometimes the only step that we can take, the one that's in our power to take, is to be reconciled to God, to be honest with maybe the ways that we played a part in that brokenness in our relationships. And so... Lastly, we see a couple of these last verses. I have heard you, and I will help you. God gives us what we need, and sometimes it's just the person in the presence of God. A lot of times these things can't be fixed, right? Or we're not necessarily even looking for it to be fixed, but we just want to know that we are not alone that we are not alone and that God is with us. It reminds me of from Psalm 23. It says, even in the darkest valley, you are with me. And some of you might feel like you are in the thick of that conflict. You are in the thick of that illness. You are in the thick of that disappointment of the way that you wish this relationship could be, whatever that is. God is with you in that. And it's really hard to stay in that tension, but there is someone who not only holds that relationship, but holds you in that place as well. And so I see so much courage in this church. I just want to encourage you. You guys don't give up easily. I've noticed the way that you fight for each other. You fight for understanding. You say the words in the conversations, and you start over, and you say, help me understand And you pursue this wholeness, not just with one relationship in your life, but with many and as many as you can. 
So I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close here. And as we close, a practice that we always do on every Sunday is take communion. We sit at the Lord's table together. And I, I just want us to focus on this this morning in a different way. One of the things, the practices that as J.D. and I have thought about this new church that God is planting that we get to help plant, we want communion to be this central and essential practice. That maybe we don't come for the message all the time, but we come to the table to receive God's grace. We come craving every Sunday to be in this place where we can open-handedly receive God's grace. And so I pray this morning, as you think about this courage, asking for God to give you this courage to be in the mess and to let God encourage you towards being a reconciler. I just want to say that God gives us what we need by inviting us to this table to receive his grace. So when we come to the Lord's table, you can come just as you are. You can come fragile. I think about the people that Jesus invited to his table in that Last Supper. One person was ready to betray him. One person already did. Jesus doesn't pretend that all of his relationships were perfect either. And so he's, he sets the table in the mess. He sets it right in the mess, and he comes and he says, Come. Are you ready to receive the grace that you need? Because I'm ready to offer it. And so we come with this unquenchable need for wholeness. We come holding that broken relationship. Bring it to the table today. How can you release that to him? How can you release that person or that situation to him this morning? We come desperate for that need and reconciliation in our own lives. And it's okay to be needy for God's grace. I think as I've journeyed as a Christian, I used to think there was just kind of a time that I wouldn't really need it anymore. Maybe I wouldn't have said that out loud. But there's this, this thought that kind of eventually we just get it all together. I've noticed I've become more needy. And so I, I invite you to come in that posture to receive this morning. Let me pray as the communion ushers come forward. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to receive from you, receive the courage, receive the hope, receive your presence that you are with us, and definitely receive your grace, Lord God. You know exactly what it's like to hold the tension, to hope for something different, to be experiencing that hope, but that we're not there yet. And so, God, would you give us a fresh portion of your courage this morning? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your table. That we can come as your followers. And that no matter what, you can pour out your grace and there's no, there's no end to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.